0: Missionary journeys of Paul are well-known in the church, but they didn't start with a committee or a plan for evangelism or church growth. Let's learn more.
1: The book of Acts, and we have been in the book of Acts for a little while, and we'll be in it for a little while. And the book of Acts is its a history of the early church. A guy named Luke, the Holy Spirit inspired this guy to write the book of Acts, and he's a historian, and he He's very meticulous in his fact-keeping, and he's so meticulous, in fact, that he's considered by some to be one of the preeminent historians of this period. Outside of Christian, non-Christian, secular, he is an incredible historian in the way that he brings the detail to the stories, detail that has been checked out archaeologically. People have gone back, they've looked at this stuff, and they've seen that the people, places, times, and events that Luke talks about are verified over and over and over again, which is important. And, you know, I do this from time to time and remind you, this is not. A legend book. This is the scripture. It is not about Paul Bunyan making the Grand Canyon with Babe the Blue Ox, okay? It is not legendary. This is true. This is real. Jesus Christ is real. He is God. He rose from the dead. These are real things that really, really happened. And it's so easy. When I was a kid, we used to do like the flannel grams. Anybody used to do that in Sunday school? The flannel grams, and they'd put the guys up on there and stuff. You remember that? No, nobody? Okay, fine. Whatever. That didn't work. Um, So anyway, we used to do that, and it's all just kind of like so far away, so far removed that you didn't think of it necessarily as real, but this is real, and Luke brings that to us in the book of Acts. And so we have been, most recently, we finished chapter 12, um, and we saw at the very end of that chapter, after we saw uh, some stuff happen, and we saw Herod Agrippa I get eaten by worms. For those of you, we didn't see him get eaten, we studied about him getting eaten by worms, but for those of you who missed that It was, uh, you know, we didn't eat for like three days after we talked about that, and it was awesome. So um, don't miss church. There's all kinds of cool stuff that happens uh, when we study scripture. So we were there, and then we saw Saul and Barnabas and John Mark, they go from Jerusalem back to Antioch, and that's where we're at. And so um, we're gonna start in chapter 13 this morning and study through a part of uh, a passage that's in that chapter, Uh, but I want us to think about something as we're getting started. Um, Have any of you ever had a family member or a friend come to you, and they tell you, hey, here's this really good news for me. Here's this thing that's going to happen. Here's this, uh, this, this choice. Maybe they got into a, a college somewhere far away, or they got a job offer somewhere far away, and you know in your heart that it's a good thing for them. It's a good thing for them, or it's a good thing for their family or whatever, but somehow it's not necessarily a good thing for you. Somehow, either them being far away or them getting a better job, or a better school offer, or whatever than you, and the jealousy, whatever it is, somehow this great news for this person that you love is not good news for you. Um, And they come to you, and they ask you for advice, or you're with other friends, and another friend is encouraging them in that, and your temptation is to sort of turn them away from it for your own purposes. I'm not saying you've ever done it, I'm just saying that there's some temptation in your heart to say, oh, I don't know that that's such a great thing or, or whatever, and, and the reason that you do that is because it's not a great thing for you. Now, the reason I'm bringing this up is as we go through this passage, I want you to uh, think about that and, and think about what it is that drives us to do that. What is it that drives us to take uh, things for those we love and even sometimes for ourselves, we have something come up. It's clearly uh, good for us, and maybe even really clearly what God wants for us, and yet there's fear, fear of change, fear of what the thing would be, fear of loss of control, whatever it is, and we sort of start to talk ourselves out of it. Even our own selves, even stuff that's good for us, it's good for us on this side, but maybe not on this side. And, and what, is, what does that and what causes that? Because we're going to read through a story, and we're going to see this happen to some extent, and then we're going to talk about it afterwards. But for now... Let's go to chapter 13. If you have your Bible with you, you can open it now. If you do not have your Bible with you, <clears throat> you know, bring your Bible. But we'll put it up on the screen anyway. So, chapter 13, verse 1. Now, in the church that was at Antioch, there were certain prophets and teachers. Barnabas, Simeon, who was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Manaen, who had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. All right, once again, we have Luke giving us more detail than it seems like we need. He's naming these five people. He's naming who they are, in some cases where they're from, and we find out who sort of the leaders of the church at Antioch are. Remember, Antioch is this place that Paul and Barnabas had been, um, and the gospel had been growing there. They brought it to the Jews first and then to the Gentiles, and the church was growing. This was the first place that they started calling uh, Christ followers Christians. That's Antioch, right? And so these are the guys that are leaders, they're teachers, they're prophets. These are the guys that are taking the teachings that Jesus brought, and they're teaching the people. And they're taking the, the Old Testament scriptures and teaching those as they reflect Christ, showing through the prophecy, showing through the, through the law and everything that was leading to Christ and teaching this to the people. That's what these guys are doing. And so I find uh, something very interesting about this. These guys are a very diverse group, as the church should be. The church should be a diverse group. They have, you have two of them are from North Africa one from Cyprus, one from Tarsus, only one from the Holy Land, from Palestine. And none of them are actually from Antioch or Syria at all. And yet all of them end up here as leaders of this church. We have Simeon, was probably from northern Africa, uh, as well as Lucius, okay? Lucius is probably one of these guys that was there. We talked about way early in the book of Acts, all these people that were in Jerusalem for Pentecost, and a bunch of guys got saved, a bunch of guys and girls got saved. And, but when Stephen was killed, when he was, when he was martyred, a bunch of them left, right? And Lucius is probably one of these guys that we heard about that left when all these people left and then ended up in Antioch. And then we have, uh, uh, we have Saul who we know. He is from Tarsus, and Menaean is from the Holy Land. It says he was brought up with Herod the Tetrarch. The word that they use here when it says brought up suggests that he was probably Herod's foster brother. They would have been brought up together. They would have been raised together, right? Educated together. And let's let's go back to our Herod slide that we used last week, because Herods are complicated, right? We went through all this. Again, if you missed last week, you don't know about Herod, okay? And and I don't know how you'll make it without knowing about Herod. But in any case, you see Herod Antipas there. That's Herod the Tetrarch, okay? He's the uncle of the Herod that got eaten by worms in our story last week. That's the guy that Menaean has been brought up with or was the foster brother of. So he has some connection with the Herods, with the royalty, with what's going on there, okay? Um, All right. Let's look at the next couple of verses here, 2 and 3. It says, As they ministered to the Lord and fasted, the Holy Spirit said, Now separate to me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Then having fasted and prayed and laid hands on them, they sent them away. So we have Barnabas and Saul being separated and how do we learn this from the Holy Spirit? These guys are fasting and ministering to the Lord. They're basically fasting, praying, worshiping. Fasting, praying, worshiping, and the Holy Spirit prophesies to them. Okay, and so it's probably through one of these guys, that says they were teaching and prophets, one of these guys probably brought the word of the Holy Spirit there. But what you'll notice they're not doing, they're not necessarily having a strategic planning session. Instead, what they're doing is they're saying, Lord, what do you want us to do? What do you want us to do? And if we'll do that, if we'll seek the Lord, fast, pray, worship. It's in that context where the Lord will reveal to us what we ought to do. I have seen and you have probably seen those who in the name of wanting to do things for the Lord have come up with their own ideas, planned them out, had a strategy, and then tried to do that thing and it's failed because it wasn't of the Lord. It wasn't of the Lord. The way to know that what you want to do is of the Lord is through this process. Pray, worship, fast, seek him out, and he'll tell you. Or, and there's nothing wrong with planning. There's nothing wrong with being strategic. But you better check that by the Lord in this way, right? Through in the context of fasting, praying, worshiping God as a community. That's what these guys are doing. And he sets aside Paul and Barnabas, Saul and Barnabas, okay, um, for a missionary journey. We're going to go on a missionary journey. This is not a quick trip to Portland. This missionary journey, this this first one that Paul goes on here, probably takes one to two years. One to two years he's going to be gone from about 47 to 48 AD is the context for this missionary journey that Paul's going to be on. All right. So it says that they laid hands on them, right? It says that the Holy Spirit told them that, and then they're fasting and praying again and laying hands on them to send them away. So what you see is, they're looking for the Holy Spirit to, to guide them. The Holy Spirit guides them. Then when they've been guided, then they fast and pray and lay on hands, okay? So what they're doing is, with the laying out of hands, you may have seen that before, like earlier today, right? When we set somebody aside for the ministry, we do that by laying on hands and praying for that person. And these guys did the same thing. And in the fasting and the praying, what they're doing is saying, okay, Lord, now you've told us what they're supposed to do. Now we've got to pray for the power and the strength and the ability for them to do it and to stick with it. And so that's what they're doing. Okay, now we know what the Lord wants. Now we pray for the ability to do it. And this is the pattern, okay? We talked about prescriptive versus descriptive, things that are just describing what happened versus things that are prescribing how we should act. This is a model for seeking the will of the Lord, learning the will of the Lord, and then praying for empowerment to go do the will of the Lord. And that's the pattern that we have here at this church, and that's the pattern of the church since the beginning. And so now you know. That's how we do things, and that's how they do things. Let's look at verse 4. It says, so being sent out by the Holy Spirit, they went down to Seleucia, and from there they sailed to Cyprus. All right. So um, once again, we see that it's the Holy Spirit that sent them out. It's very important. It's very important to know that this was not Paul and Barnabas decided that Jesus really needed to be preached here or there, and so they went and did it. No, it's twice we've heard it was the Holy Spirit. He's emphasized it. The Holy Spirit sent these guys. This was the work of God through the Holy Spirit sending these guys. Okay? So let's look at a map. I think we have a map of Seleucia and so on. You'll see there on the coast, on the coast there, you see Seleucia, and then they're traveling to Salamis. That's where they're going to go, which is on the island of Cyprus. So from Antioch to Seleucia, and they're going to go to Cyprus, about a 75-mile boat trip from the one place to the other. Seleucia is a a port city uh, about 15 miles from Antioch. It's the main port city for Antioch, which, as we talked about last week, was the third largest city in the Roman Empire. So this is an important port. They head there. They're going to go about 75 miles to to Cyprus. So let's look at verse 5. And when they arrived in Salamis, they preached the word of God in the synagogues of the Jews. They also had John as their assistant. So um, as they arrived in Salamis, that's the one that you saw on the map. Let's put that back up for a second. That's there on the east coast of Cyprus. That's where they show up. Um, It says they preached in the synagogues of the Jews. Multiple, right? There were more than one synagogue, which means that there were lots of Jewish people. We know that Jews had been migrating to the island of Cyprus. Barnabas himself was from there. They had been migrating to the island of Cyprus since at least the time of Alexander the Great. Okay, so in the 300s BC, they've been, they've been migrating to this place. And at this time in history, there's evidence that there were a lot of Jewish people that lived on the island of Cyprus. And so it makes sense that Barnabas, who's from there, that the Lord on their first missionary journey would send Barnabas And Saul to Cyprus where Barnabas would already have a feel for the culture and what they're doing, right? He already has that feel. So they head to Salamis and they start preaching to the Jews. Um, Paul always goes to the Jews first. Wherever he goes on his missionary journeys, he goes to the Jews first. And there's a couple reasons for that. First, he's committed to that. He just says, hey, look, the gospel goes to the Jews first and then the Gentiles. So that, that settles it right there. But there's another reason. That makes sense here, right? And here's what it is. When you go to these synagogues, there weren't just uh, ethnic Jewish people in these synagogues. There were also Gentiles who had converted... We, call it, we talked about these guys proselytes, right, who had converted to Judaism and God-fearing Gentiles like Cornelius, who we talked about back in chapter 10, who feared God but hadn't necessarily converted all the way to Judaism. And so when they go to the synagogue, and when you go to the synagogue, they allowed any, any person who was educated and so on like Paul would have been to address the people. So Paul's going to get this automatic pulpit, opportunity to speak. And not only is he going to speak to the Jews, who of course he wants to come to Christ, he's also going to get to talk to these people who were Gentiles, ethnically Gentiles, and in some cases still Gentiles, just God-fearers. And the nice thing about that is they're a great segue. They're a great segue if the Jews reject, if you've gotten some of these Gentile god fears to believe in Christ, they can segue easily into the rest of the Gentile population. So it made sense for him to go to those, Jew and Gentile, God-fear, proselyte, and so on, who already understood the Scripture because it's so easy to point to Jesus from the Scripture so that then those would get saved and then he could go to the Gentiles. So that's a pattern we'll see over and over and over again as we go through Acts. That's how Paul does his thing, okay? Now, um, let's look at the—it also says that John, by the way, was their assistant. This John— I don't know why he has to go call him Mark sometimes and John sometimes and John Mark sometimes. It's John Mark, the guy who wrote Mark, right? The Holy Spirit inspired him to write the Gospel of Mark much later on. Now he's much younger and he's assisting Paul and Barnabas in their mission. Let's look at the next verse here, verse 13, 6. Now, when they had gone through the island to Paphos, they found a certain sorcerer, a false prophet, a Jew whose name was Bar-Jesus, All right, so map again. We go through the island from the east coast to the west coast. Now, some of you might be saying, wait a second, what happened in that first city? Well, let me tell you, we we don't know. We don't know what happened. Um, we don't have any historical record for what happened in this particular moment. Luke doesn't tell us. He's actually driving us towards the story we're going to get to here uh, with this sorcerer guy and the proconsul and pathos. But we don't know. Assumedly, it's very possible that on their way there, which is like 130 miles or something from the one part, point to the other, they probably stopped in other places, talked in other synagogues and so on. But we don't have a record on this first missionary journey of what happened in these cities. So they're going to the West Coast, right? They're going to the West Coast, and they get to this guy, this false prophet, this sorcerer named Bar-Jesus. This has nothing to do with Jesus of Nazareth, our Jesus. Bar, in this case, is a word that means son of, okay? It means son of. This is an Aramaic word, and so it just means he was the son of... Someone named Jesus, Yeshua, Joshua. And so that's, that's the significance. This guy wasn't claiming any relationship uh, to Jesus Christ. He was just called Bar Jesus, okay? Um, it says he's a sorcerer. We studied about Simon the sorcerer back in chapter 8, you probably mem- remember. Um, and so this guy would have been somebody who used incantations, who claimed to have power within the spirit world and and would do rituals and things like that. Um, it says he was a false prophet, so it's possible that he was doing things like... Uh, basically astrological fortune telling, things like that. Um, false prophet, by the way, is not a good designator. If you're called that, that's a bad thing. And so when Luke calls him a false prophet here um, and a sorcerer, these are very negative things. These were not okay. Jewish religion, Christian religion, whatever, it was not okay to be a sorcerer and certainly not a false prophet. But there is ample evidence that there were a lot of uh, Jewish magicians Back in antiquity, back in history, we have a lot of stories uh, or, or historical um, references to Jewish magic. And again, they're not really Jewish in the sense that they're following Scripture. These are people who believed that they were um, communing with the spirit world, doing things like this, and people would seek them out um, to, to do that kind of thing for them. And so, um, actually, this is a story, this guy we're going to read about later named Felix, Okay, he's a Roman proconsul, and there's actually a story that I believe Josephus talks about where Felix uh, goes and seeks out this Jewish magician from Cyprus to help him get Drusilla to basically fall in love with him. Um, so very interesting story, and we'll get to him much, much later on. But there is, uh, there is this whole history of these types of guys. We've already seen two of them, right? We've already seen two of them. Next verse here is verse 7. Who was with the proconsul... Sergius Paulus, an intelligent man, this man called for Barnabas and Saul and sought to hear the word of God. Okay, so Paphos is the capital, the capital of Cyprus. And the proconsul, the Roman governing person, would have been seated there in Paphos. So that's who we're talking about here. Bar Jesus is this guy who is basically an advisor, which was not uncommon that Roman leaders would have had advisors. Sometimes there would be guys like this around. Um, and so that's who he is. And this guy is wanting to hear the word of God. He's calling for Paul and Barnabas. Okay? He wants to hear the word of God. This guy's a seeker. it says okay? is an, an intelligent man. This is a guy who has power in the Roman world. Okay, power, and yet he has seen the bankruptcy of the Roman pagan religions and the philosophies and all of this stuff, and he's intelligent. He recognizes that none of those are providing the answers that he wants, and so he seeks to hear the word of God from Saul and Barnabas because he's seeking. Some of you may be in that situation. You don't know. You're not a follower of Christ. You're just seeking. You want to know what's true. You're an intelligent person. You're just looking for the truth.
0: So is that you? Are you seeking the truth? Have you found that the things around you just aren't giving you the peace and fulfillment that you want? Well, the answer is Jesus, and we would love to help you find Him and experience life the way it was designed to be. Call us at 360-885-9000, or come see us at Acts Church in Vancouver, Washington. Get all the info you need at ActsChurchNW.org. Hope to meet you real soon. I also hope you'll join us next time for more with Pastor David Robinson here on Contemplate.